Hello and welcome to Senior Times and to the Kathleen Watkins podcast. I'm Mike Murphy and today I'm here to listen and enjoy and to ask the odd question. Kathleen, you've chosen a number of poems for us today, all from the pen of W.B. Yeats. But before we talk about the poems, uh, let's talk about poetry in general. I know, and uh, most people do know, that poetry is a very important and integral part of your life. Um, Isn't that so? That's absolutely true. And I can tell you really where it began in my national school when we were doing, reciting the words of Thomas More, all his wonderful pieces he sang, which were set to music eventually. And indeed, we put them to music in our national school. I remember that moment as well. I loved the rhythm of the words, the way the words lay line after line. I love the rhythm of the music. And I think that's what started all the arty interest in me. And I realise how valuable it is for children at the youngest age to have these things open to them. We're going to do another podcast with you on music, but we're going to concentrate on this one in on poetry. Why W.B. Yeats? Well, first of all, W.B. Yeats was born a few doors from where I'm now living in Sandymount. And I always loved his Lake Isle of Inishfree. All of us know that. We all learned it at school, I think, and it's so very, very famous. But not many people are familiar with the love poems of Maud Gone. Well, I don't think they are. I never hear people mentioning them. They are incredibly beautiful. He must have been out of his mind about her. Quite clearly he was. And uh, Or maybe the not getting her for his wife made him more, um, I don't know, poetic, I don't know. But uh, certainly, I, I often wonder if we would have had a different volume of poetry had he not fallen in love with her. Well, actually, didn't she say, effectively, it's as well I didn't marry you. You got better poetry as a result of us not getting well, married. Yes, that, that may be true. I, I really don't know about that. But it must have been a bit of a torture for her to be constantly hounded <laughs> to be married. <laughs> and then she found somebody else. That must have driven him crazy altogether. And then, he, of course, he... Having refused him for the final time, he then turned round and asked her daughter Isol to marry him. Of course, she didn't marry him either. But anyway, whatever, we have been left with this volume of wonderful writing, heartbreaking writing. Wouldn't we all love to have a poem written about us like one of these, you know? What was what made you choose, and please tell us what it is, your first poem? The first one is Brown Penny, and uh, it's it's unusual um, he's, is he talking to a penny? I don't know. Brown penny, brown penny. I am looped in the loops of her hair. He's just, I think he's talking out there to anybody it, who cares to listen. I think he's calling out. Um, and I, I just think it's beautifully worded. Only a poet can put it together like this. That's, that's really the magic and the talent they have for creating, for finding the right word and putting it in the right place. I was reading somewhere that sometimes they find a word, that, well, that's a perfect word. I know where I'm going to put that word in another line of another poem I'm doing, you know, that kind of thing. That was the way I think the minds work. I don't know what way Seamus mind <laughs> worked, but anyway, uh, they've, these people will never know the wealth of beautiful work, the volume of work they have left us. I remember there was a wonderful lady who was doing a piano 
master class and she had a little boy sitting at the piano and she said to him out of the blue, did anyone ever leave you anything in their will? And he said, no. And she said, yes, they did. Mozart and Schubert and Schumann and Beethoven. So these people have left us all these treasures and they're yours and mine. They're for everybody, forever. There's also, as you say, they're able to pluck ideas out of the ether. And when you think about it, this was the old, the old penny that we knew was a brown copper penny. Yes, with, it was. With a hen on it, wasn't it? Yes, I remember yes. it well. So I think I have a few in a jar. That, yeah, that's, but that he was able to create a love poem from it also says something in, in relation to Well, it's the simplicity of familiar things. That's, yeah. that's, that's the thing that makes it, I think, very accessible for ordinary folk like me. Many of them are away up there in the clouds and you'd often feel like saying to a poet, uh, is there any harm to ask what you mean by that? <laughs> or you'd like the poet sitting here to say, explain that to me now. Though sometimes it comes clear when you read and reread and reread. Then you find yeah. different things in a poem then. Are you into poetry yourself? Well, now I'm interested in what you say because and when I was doing the arts show on RT Radio, so much of the poetry was above my head. I simply didn't understand it. But I had no problem in saying to the poet, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. Do you mind explaining it? And very often they would, and it would give you an insight into their mind. But many, many times I have been left floundering by poetry. I haven't been able to understand it. I am looking forward to having this little chat over the next while with you to hear your interpretations of what you are about to read. Would you like to start with Brown Penny? I whispered... I am too young, and then I am old enough, wherefore I threw a penny to find out if I might love. Go and love, go and love, young man, if the lady be young and fair. Ah, penny, brown penny, brown penny, I am looped in the loops of her hair. Oh, love is the crooked thing, there's nobody wise enough to find out all that is in it, for he would be thinking of love till the stars had run away and the shadows eaten the moon. Ah, Penny, brown Penny, brown Penny, one cannot begin it too soon. To say it's a poem about love is putting it mildly, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's unusual, isn't it? Too? It sounds like he was dying to fall in love with love. Is that right? Is that my interpretation? I don't or know. Am I, I know wrong? he talks about stars and moon and things a lot in, in many other poems as well, uh, which is wonderful, really, that he's noticing and aware of the world out there all around mm. him, like nature and things like that, like the swans at Cool, all those beautiful things. Everything he saw seemed to delight his eye. It's, this is a little, bit, a little bit like a statement of intent. Is, is it an early poem by Yeats, that Brown Penny? It sounds to me like a young man setting out his stall. I'm going to write through my career about love. That's what it sounds like. A little bit like Heaney and Digging. Well, digging, of course, was his father, wasn't it? They were yeah. familiar things. They were home, things of the home place. Um, this, I think this one, I mean, he already, 
he really has his eye on her. He's looped in the loops of her hair, you know. Is it, is it Maud Gahn? I mean, Gahn? he has it bad. He, do you reckon already he's in love with Maud Gahn? Absolutely. Yes, do you I do. really? I do, I do. And she never reciprocated. No. No, the only time he was unkind about her, well, not... Well, he was observant, I suppose, when he said, your small hands are not beautiful. You know, you've one flaw, your small hands are not beautiful. He said that in a piece which I'll be reading later. Mm. Um, Maud Gahn herself, because of his obsession with her through the years, she was a very tall woman, I believe, and uh, she was apparently an absolutely stunning-looking woman. I knew her granddaughter, um, who was Anna McBride, who worked at Shannon Airport at the tourist desk there. She was a most beautiful young woman with this massive head of dark hair, wonderful skin and beautiful features. Really wonderful looking. What a, what a beautiful woman to gaze on, for anybody to gaze on. She, everybody was admiring her. She had that gentleness about her. She had things about her that I'm now seeing in the poems about Maud Gone, really, which is interesting, you know. Um, there were other women in his life as well. Um, there was no uh, shortage. No shortage. Isn't that right? There well, was no shortage. I was no talking shortage. to a friend. I was saying he was, you know, he was rather fond of the ladies. My friends had gone out of that. He was a devil for the women. No, he had, in his 70s, he had this operation, a Steinach operation, I think it was called. I hope I'm correct in that. And that was to make him feel a little bit better. Well, he certainly did, because he had three more affairs in his 70s. Did he? He did. He did. With and who, and who the, the, the next poem, Friends, is about three people in his life. One is the lady he had an affair with. I've forgotten her name. And the second is uh, Maud Gone, who are not Maud Gone, but Lady Gregory, for whom he had such a high regard, this dear, dear friend. But the third then is uh, Maud Gone. These were three important women in his life. Kathleen, how could you have forgotten the names? I was dying to hear who the names of the first three the, the women first woman, were. I, I just can't remember her name at the moment. <laughs> it wasn't Olivia Shakespeare, was it? No? No, no. no okay, no, no, sorry, no, it okay. Wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> All, right. All right, friends, it's a lovely bomb, and yes, please do read it in your own time. Now must I these three praise, three women that have wrought what joy is in my days. One, because no thought, nor those unpassing cares, no, not in these fifteen many times troubled years, could ever come between mind and delighted mind and one because her hand had strength that could unbind what none can understand, what none can have and thrive, youth's dreamy load, till she so changed me that I live labouring in ecstasy. And what of her that took all till my youth was gone, with scarce a pitying look? How could I praise that one? When day begins to break, I count my good and bad, being wakeful for her sake, remembering what she had, what eagle look still shows. While up from my heart's root, so great a sweetness flows, I shake from head to foot. He had it bad, didn't he? <laughs> he had it bad. He had it bad. I mean, bad. it doesn't get worse than it that. doesn't. <laughs> The pain, the pain of it all. He had it bad. 
If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport, or visit the home of the Titanic? Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Here's your chance to win a new Doro 7030 feature phone with access to WhatsApp and Facebook. Designed specifically for seniors and available to buy in Vodafone stores or online. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text. One that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. At Doro, they are dedicated to helping seniors live a better life without compromise. Doro help to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a newly launched Doro 7030 handset is go to the website www.seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. To see the full range of Doro phones, visit www.doro.com. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. Let's talk about Lady Gregory. Um, she, I know there was there was no relationship there, is my understanding, but do I know? But um, she was certainly an inspiration to but him, she, wasn't she? She recognised in this young man this, this great talent. She could see it. Maybe she was so close to him. She was giving him, I think, food and board and lodging, as they say, first of all, down in the West. And I think... I think that was a tremendous relationship, almost like a mother figure. And they had this amazing friendship. And she she really, I mean, the line when he says, she so changed me that I live laboring in ecstasy, that says it all, that she recognized, it's almost as if she said, just get on with it. You have what it takes, just go for it. And of course, mm. he wins the Nobel Prize, so... What better than that? So clearly it was, she had a talent because she recognised his. And then, of course, she had great tragedy in her life. Her son was killed in an aircraft crash in the war and he wrote that thing, an Irish airman foresees his death. And that's a heartbreaking piece as well that he wrote. But um, yes, um, but I Lady Gregory con con connection was wonderful. And of course, with the Abbey Theatre, the founder of the Abbey, all of that, they were all in, in together. Mm. at that time. I think it's easy to forget too, when you think of Yeats, he was part of the ascendancy um, and you think of him as being well-to-do. The fact of the matter is, he actually lived in poverty for some parts of his life, didn't he? Well, he was. He ended up in England, spending an awful lot of time in England and um, I, I, maybe he was having more opportunities there at that time mm. to be in literary groups of people with people of like mind. I'm not sure, but I have a wonderful book and the letters of himself and Georgie, his wife. And so 
the letters, I mean, were coming back and forth now, so there was no television. I don't know how much telephoning there was, but there were there were letter writing. I mean, the book is a big, thick book of their both their letters, and it's quite revealing. Um, and he was telling her everything he was doing, and she was talking about the children and so on. And but it was extraordinary that. I think people were giving him board and lodging over there yeah. as well because he wouldn't have had very much. That's the wonderful thing about people who are into the arts. They, they don't think of money at all. They just love what they do and they're going to do it anyway. And that's to be admired. I mean, it costs an awful lot to live in today's world, but people in the arts still do what they do and they don't earn very much. I really feel for them at the moment, of course, because yes. of the lockdown, all of that. Um, Lady uh, Lady Gregory, of course, brought introduced him to the Cool Park and to the general area around the west of Ireland, around Sligo, that he fell in love with. And um, I think he found such solace in being allowed to stay in a place like Cool Park at her behest and uh, at her indulgence. Yes, and eventually having his own place there, which was wonderful too. This is the tower. The tower, tower and yes, and then and then the writer for me, the writing of the, the swans at cool is just an incredibly beautiful mm. poem. Um, it really at the bell beat of their wings. He talks about that as they fly away. Just incredibly beautiful for me. Anyway, it the the words are so wonderful. I suppose it's. I'm being totally uh, taken by the written word. The written mm. word is an amazing thing when you think of it. What would we do without books, you know? The written word is where it's at, really. On, on that, can I ask you this? In terms of poetry itself, can one understand... I'm asking you the question. Can you understand the poem better when you read it aloud? I never thought of it like that. I, I, I know I understand them better if I read and reread. I remember doing a Yeats course with some friends in the National Library and the lecturer was doing, um, he was going through line by line of Byzant sailing to Byzantium. And that really was just so thrilling. I was feeling, gosh, it would have been wonderful to do uh, English literature in college, you know. Um, and you realise maybe what you have missed. But then you can make up for it because books are available. It's up to yourself to open books and read. It's mm. open to everybody. Your next one, your third poem, it, this one is The Arrow. I thought of your beauty. And this arrow made out of a wild thought is in my marrow. There's no man may look upon her, no man as for newly grown to be a woman, tall and noble, but with face and bosom, delicate in colour as apple blossom. This beauty's kinder, yet for a reason. I could weep that the old is out of season. Talk about that poem. Well, what I feel there is he's, he's old, he's getting older, and he's he's out of it altogether. I, in, I think in regard to having the attentions of Maud gone, he's certainly feeling his age here, that he's not maybe as attractive to women as he was. I'm not quite sure. Mm. But I could weep that the old is out of season. Yes. That says it all. So yeah. he must have been thinking a lot about himself and his feelings and his sexual feelings, really. Interesting about the muse, isn't it? 
He, Maud Gone was without question his muse. Okay, it was a, an unfulfilled love, but it did bring about a, a, a wonderful trove of poetry. But there were also, you remember, um, John Lavery and Hazel. And also, if I want to bring it up to the modern day, the late wonderful Seamus Heaney and Mary. I mean, Seamus wrote some of the most beautiful poems yes. about Mary, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did. He did the wonderful one um, courting along the canal bank, still waters running deep along the embankment walk and um, where she's gone away, you've gone, I am at sea until you resume command. Self is in mutiny. Just wonderful stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. So yes. how important Maud Gone was. And Maud Gone, she was a bit of a gal, let's be honest. I mean, she really was. I, my understanding is she had a couple of children that he didn't even know about before well, I, they I don't met. know anything about yeah. that, well, really. Well, apparently so. She, I, I knew that she lived in Paris and she had a child there and the child was very ill and she went back at the last minute. I think the child died. Mm. I think so. I'm not quite sure about that. But, was um, was, was she the idealisation of Irish womanhood, do you think, Maud Gone? Well, maybe she was to him. She was to him. I mean, but there were lots of other wonderful women knocking around at the time, I'm quite sure, beautiful Irish women. But um, maybe they were all dancing at the crossroads and he missed them. I don't know. <laughs> um, will you read us uh, our next one? It's uh, Never Give All the Heart. Quite a beautiful poem it is too. Never give all the heart. For love will hardly seem worth thinking of to passionate women if it seems certain. And they never dream that it fades out from kiss to kiss. For everything that's lovely is but a brief, dreamy, kind delight. Oh, never give the heart outright, for they for all smooth lips can say, have given their hearts up to the play. And who could play it well enough if deaf and dumb and blind with love? He that made this knows all the cost, for he gave all his heart and lost. We're back again to the same theme, isn't that right? And he gave it his all, he tried hard. You know, I could weep that the old is out of season, he's trying hard and nothing is happening, so that's it. Maud Gone is not going to be his, I think. And he lost. He lost. He yes. lost. Doesn't he word it most beautifully? Yeah. And and I mean, but that could be a word of advice to many young women. Do you know what I mean? Never give the heart outright. And who could play it well enough if deaf and dumb and blind with love? Sure, of course. You wouldn't know what you'd be doing if you'd be so <laughs> mad about the guy. You know what I mean? I think what he's saying is that <laughs> women are able to handle it better than men. And <laughs> well, Ma Maud Gone was able to handle she it. She sure was, sure. wasn't she? What about the other women in his life? And I don't mean I don't I don't mean the uh, any relationships affairs that he might have had. The other women in his life, for example, he had the two sisters, and they they must have been incredibly supportive of Yeats of W. B. Well, the sisters were apparently very very poor. And I remember reading in one book that they had to walk from the city out to Rathmines or Rathgar, somewhere like that, where they were living. There was they couldn't afford the transport, and uh, but 
a most beautiful thing I have seen is in the connection in the archive in our National Gallery, and that is the Lake Isle of Inishfree depicted by his sister in embroidery. It's Lolly, was it? Lolly, who was the embroiderer. And Lillian Lolly, was not their names, yeah. yes. And um, yet that is the most beautiful thing. I mean, the, the Lake Isle of Inishfree, you know the poem, Nine Bean Rose Will I Have There, A Hive for the Honeybee. It's all there in embroidery in this most beautifully done piece. Now, they they had been in London as well, and I think they were mingling around with the William Morris set while they were there. So they were mingling around in artistic circles. And then they came back here and they started up the, the press. They must have been all in the family, so supportive of uh, WB because um, they created Cooler Press and in Cooler Press, uh, the two women, Lily and Lolly, they they published the poems of WB and had Jack, the brother, do the illustrations. Well, that was my late discovery in my life that Jack Yates, the painter, we always went to see any exhibition we could ever see of Jack Yates's pictures. And then, of course, Jack Yates also was a writer, writing books and plays and articles for what was then the Manchester Guardian newspaper. And uh, I remember doing a reading in the National Gallery and... I had excerpts from different things he'd written. I took them out of context, explaining to my audience that I'm taking these out of context. I just want you to hear the writings of Jack Yates, the painter. And there were some beautifully descriptive pieces and funny. He was funny as well. And I remember one thing he wrote, he was saying, I have a new game. I think this was meant for children. I have a new game, new to me, and now I give it to the world. And it's tin can racing on a sandy shore. Maybe he did it when he was a little fellow in Sligo on the beach. And he even says in the piece, even the lids of cans will go good, you know. And then he says at the very end, isn't it a marvellous thing the way we do utilise the airs of heaven for the purpose of making tin cans gallop like greyhounds? I never knew Jack Jack Yates uh, wrote at all. I didn't realise that. Well, it's the pieces, there are some beautiful pieces I took out of... Uh, with the help of the archivist at the National Gallery. And um, they, they really went down a treat. People had never heard them before. What a family. Wonderfully descriptive pieces. But but there was something funny in there as well, which I've never found in the works of his brother. I never found any fun. No. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 on another level. So it, it's wonderful that one brother can be artistic in one way and another can be artistic in another way, doing his own thing. The reading of poetry. You and I have been away on many social gatherings and people have stood up and performed a party piece or a song or so that. But you are always the one who, despite the fact you have such a beautiful singing voice that you play the harp, you always choose to recite, which you have have always memorised, a poem. I don't know of any other person who who chooses to do that. Do you know of many who do? Well, I don't really, but I... The thing is that in my old age, I'm not singing very much, and so people always ask you if you've been a performer of any kind, can you do something? So now at a party or anything like that, I do 
a, a piece of poetry, which I'm delighted to do. I know so many of them off by heart because I love them so much. I've read them and reread them. And suddenly I realize I know them off by heart. I suppose, too, when you've been singing all your life songs with harp accompaniment, you're used to learning things. It's very good for the brain. It's great exercise for the brain to be remembering things, you know. And I, I remember so many songs and piece of poetry off by heart, which is lucky, I suppose, at this age. What is your favourite poem? Is that a really hard question to put to you? I I, I think the one, the favourite one of mine listening to you is Bannocht. Um, is that the John O'Donoghue? Oh, the John O'Donoghue piece, Which is yes. just a beautiful, It beautiful is a lovely poem. piece. That piece, I remember saying that in Donegal and a number of people used it for their weddings afterwards, young people. Um, it's it's a, a very popular piece, yeah. Would I be putting you terribly on the spot? And I know it's not Yeats, and we were going to discuss only Yeats, but if could we digress, would you be willing to delve into your memory and have a go at Bannacht? I'll try. <laughs> okay. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the grey window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colours, red, green, indigo and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the curragh of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to lead you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the succession of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. That <clears throat> was fantastic. Well done. That thank, was beautiful. And can I say, having, having listened to the words there, Yeats would have been very proud to have written that. Yes, he, he wrote some, I mean, there are some lines in, in um, John O'Donoghue's writings that are an absolute knockout, and they hit the nail on the head. I mean, he has, he has poems for, for somebody who's died, for somebody who's born, for somebody who has a new job, for somebody who's lost their job, for somebody who has cancer, and um, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. I mean, he talks even about the cancer, about this strange invitation that has been received, you know, just extraordinary the way he words things, which are incredibly comforting, depending on whatever kind of poem yes. you're looking for, you yeah. know, to fit an occasion. Yeah. Um, it's Again, it's the talent people have. He had a wonderful voice. I remember hearing him on the radio a number of times and his energy and enthusiasm was coming up with this absolutely beautiful Galway voice. Mm. And, and to, to go back to a question I mentioned to you earlier, does any poet come to mind whose reading of their own poetry really 
struck you. I, you, you always go to poets and their readings. Uh, uh, let's exclude Heaney because I know how much Heaney meant to you as yes. well. Yes, uh, he read so beautifully. Sheil read beautifully. Not, not, I'd be killed for saying this, but not all poets read beautifully. And Michal Sheil read beautifully. Brendan Kennelly, I once shared, um, I had the great privilege and honour of sharing a reading with Brendan in Trinity College. He wanted me to give him a break. He was doing his own work and I did the works, I think, of women poets that night. And he read and it was magic and the audience were at the edge, edge of their seats. And then what was so lovely, he asked if people had written anything, anybody here writing. And there was a little murmur around it. A whole lot of people were writing. And he got quite excited about that. Have you got it with you? And people reached into their pockets and took out pieces of crumpled paper. Come up, come up, you know, read it, read it. And it didn't matter what they'd written. Now, we know that there's some ghastly stuff writing, you know, rhyming stuff. But that's okay. It means people are interested in the written word and they're using the language and they're putting it down and they're enjoying it. That, Brendan Kennelly, was an, op an eye-opener for me. He was a professor of English at Trinity College. That says it all. And there he was, enthusing and quite excited about what what the real people, the ordinary people of Ireland were doing, you know. As, as we were talking about humour and about women poets um, and that Yeats doesn't have a whole lot of humour, I have always enjoyed listening to Rita Ann Higgins. She, she is very amusing reading her own poetry, isn't she? Well, Rita Ann, she kind of reminds you of your mother, you know, feet on the ground, no nonsense. She tells it like it is. She hits you between the two eyes and um, she is so natural. She doesn't care about anybody. She just says what she wants to say. And of course, of course, a lot of her stuff is very entertaining and it's fun and you can do it for, as a party piece, as a fun piece. And I've done that with a number of her pieces. And she came up to uh, my book launch. I was delighted to see her. And she read one of her pieces there as well. It was terrific, really. Here's your chance to win a new Doro 7030 feature phone with access to WhatsApp and Facebook, designed specifically for seniors and available to buy in Vodafone stores or online. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. At Doro, they are dedicated to helping seniors live a better life without compromise. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a newly launched Doro 7030 handset is go to the website www.seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. To see the full range of Doro phones, visit www.doro.com. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport, or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Say hello to Independent Weekend Home Delivery. Save up to 40% with the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent, delivered to your door every weekend. 
Plus, enjoy premium access to independent.ie and read our interactive e-paper edition all week long. All from just €5 per week. Search for independent home delivery now. Let's get back to Yeats. The next poem that you're going to read for us, Kathleen, is Her Praise. Now, before you read Her Praise, just give us a little synopsis of what you believe it's about. Well, he's so tortured in his mind. She's all over his mind. He can't get her out of his mind. So everywhere he goes, it seems to me, he wants to hear mention of her. He wants to hear people talking about her. And he's going mad if he's somewhere and nobody is. So he's trying to manage the talk, as he says himself, until her name comes around. So here is her praise. She is foremost of those that I would hear praised. I have gone about the house, gone up and down as a man does who's published a new book or a young girl dressed out in her new gown. And though I have turned the talk by hook or crook until her praise should be the uppermost theme, a woman spoke of some new tale she'd read, a man confusedly in a half-dream, as though some other name ran in his head. She is foremost of those that I would hear praised. I will talk no more of books or the long war, but walk by the dry thorn until I have found some beggar sheltering from the wind and there manage the talk until her name come round. If there be rags enough, he'll know her name and be well pleased remembering it, for in the old days, though she had young men's praise and old men's blame, among the poor, both old and young gave her praise. He just wanted to talk about her. He just wanted to talk about he her. Did. You know, I mean, I mean, even going to a beggar. I mean, yeah. where am I going to go? Okay, <laughs> oh, I'll try the beggar, yeah. and he'll he'll know because she was so good. She was wonderful to the poor. Apparently, I mean, can you imagine this magnificent creature landing in Dublin and going around tenements and be good to the poor? It's it's an extraordinary woman who did that, who had so many sides to her, really. But I can tell you, she, she wasn't looking the way he was. He was he was on one side of the road and she was on the other, <laughs> <laughs> quite clearly. I was, as you were reading that, I was actually thinking of Gay and I was thinking of how much he enjoyed you reading yes, and reciting did. your poetry. Yes. He genuinely loved it, didn't he? Yes, he did. And he encouraged it. He loved his favourite one was the John O'Donoghue piece, which I did earlier. Um, he absolutely loved that. He was always asking me to say that when we were, wherever we were, you know. And uh, yeah, he liked the written word too because it was endlessly buried in books. And when you were doing your show, sorry, when he was doing his show and you were part of it, he loved the idea of you coming on in part two and taking over and reading some of your favourite Yes, he, he really did, but... But to be fair, I think he was delighted to have a break. You know, he'd done the whole first half on his own and then we had the interval and then he knew that when he did the first 10 minutes of the second half, then he was going to have a break. And after I was finished my lot, 
then he he knew he was on the home stretch. So that was terrific. Really. He was he was fantastic. I, that show I remember being taken apart from the fact that he memorized the entire thing, never used a note, which he never did. I remember on TV he wouldn't use an auto cue. He just memorized it. It was all in his head. But also I remember he never sat down. No, he, he didn't he sit st- down. He stood for the entire show. And I yeah. remember being so taken with that. Yes. I always thought myself that that was quite tiring to stand on stage all night. But then actors are doing that every night of the week, but they're not gay's age at that point. You know, he was quite yeah. a good age, you know, to be doing that. But it's wonderful for us both that we had those 46, 47 shows, whatever it was, all around the country. And the reception was simply amazing. You know, we were in the north of Ireland as well. Um, people forget that, you know, you can perform up there too in the Lyric in Belfast, in Oma, in Enniskillen, a huge welcome, huge crowd. Mm. Um, it was It was terrific, really. Have you passed on your love of poetry to your grandchildren? Do you encourage them to read and to recite? Well, certainly, I think Gay particularly encouraged them to to read. They've all been doing speech and drama for years, so they're used to getting up in front of people and saying pieces. And I've gone over them with them to help them. You know, just stand up and say your piece, think of what you're saying, enjoy it. That's the name of the game, to enjoy Will you read Broken Dreams? This this is a very special poem, isn't it? Broken Dreams. There is grey in your hair. Young men no longer suddenly catch their breath when you are passing. But maybe some old gaffer mutters a blessing because it was your prayer recovered him upon the bed of death. For your soul's sake, that all hearts ache have known and given to others all hearts ache, for meagre girlhoods putting on burdensome beauty. For your soul's sake, heaven has put away the stroke of her doom. So great her portion in that peace you make by merely walking in a room. Your beauty can but leave among us vague memories, nothing but memories. A young man, when the old men are done talking, will say to an old man, Tell me of that lady the poet stubborn with his passion sang us when age might well have chilled his blood. Vague memories, nothing but memories. But in the grave all, all shall be renewed, the certainty that I shall see that lady leaning or standing or walking in the first loveliness of womanhood, and with the fervour of my youthful eyes has set me muttering like a fool. You are more beautiful than anyone, and yet your body had a flaw. Your small hands were not beautiful, and I am afraid that you will run and paddle to the wrist in that mysterious, always brimming lake where those that have obeyed the holy law paddle and are perfect. Leave unchanged the hands that I have kissed for old sake's sake. The last stroke of midnight dies all day in the one chair from dream to dream and rhyme to rhyme i have ranged in rambling talk with an image of air vague memories nothing 
but memories. You read so beautifully. Thank you, Mike. Um, isn't, it, isn't it just it's heartbreaking, really? Yeah. You know, because, you know, he, he well, just looking back, you know, there's grey in your hair, young, you know, to say young men, you see, he obviously was used to people kind of doing wow if she went by. So she must have been simply an amazing sight walking around Dublin. And so he feels that's gone now, that, that you know, and in a way it's kind of sad that, was it that important that people still be, I mean, can't she be a person in her own right and be an older person as well? Do you know yes. what I mean? Uh, why does she have to be beautiful all the time? All the anyway, time. Um, you know, and then then about somebody being recovered on the bed of death, because obviously she had given of herself to people who are sick and dying. And they're also, for quite a while, heaven had put away the stroke of her doom so that she was she was permitted to be beautiful for longer than others. That's mm. what that seems to me. And uh, and your beauty can leave among us fave memories. So he's he's remembering back and he's talking that the old men are done talking and they're still talking about her. Tell me of the lady that the poet talked about. You know, mm. let's talk about her. In other words, you know, was she? Let's let's hear how good she was, how wonderful she was, how beautiful she was. And um, and, and yes, then he the flaw. yes he mentioned the flaw. The flaw. Yes, that's right. Yeah, did, did he have to do that? But in fact. <laughs> At the same time, he's so besotted, he says, you know, change nothing, leave unchanged, you know. Yeah. So, um, and then you see him almost distraught, sitting there in a chair as an old man, just just very sad, just with the, with the memories. Well, we've spoken about the women, the women in his life or the, the main women in his life. We spoke about um, uh, Lady Gregory and we've spoken about Maud Gahn. Uh, but there was also Georgie, his wife, who was 25, 27 years younger than him and yet who was a profound influence. I think he was about 52 when they, he married her. Well, I and remember somebody saying to me, well, of course, because... I, see, I'm no Yates expert, just the bits I've read here and there over the years, and it seemed to me that this was an occult marriage, which it was, because that they they both loved that the seances and cards and all that kind of... The paraphernalia they of did. that was all Spiritualism. In, in the last cases in, in the Yates exhibition at the National Library, and uh, which is really very revealing of the kind of people they were, what yeah. they were into. And um, so so on that level, they, they seemed to have got on very, very well. And he seems... But she was... She was some woman to kind of suffer all that separation. He was away in England. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she didn't know wh where he was or what he was at in, in a way. You know, I, I'm kind of, I feel kind of sad about that. Yeah. Um, and yet he was still creating and he, you know, she was here minding the children. She was holding the fort, as it were. We're going to finish up with one more poem and before it, it is When You Are Old, which is such a poignant poem. But can I just before, while you're, while you're preparing yourself there, can I just um, mention to you that in Lifelines, the, the collection of, collections of poetry compiled by Niall McMonagall uh, with the students of Wesley College, um, there are some quotes here about this, this poem. Anthony Clare said, It never fails to move me when I read it because it evokes the sweet, aching agony of nostalgia 
nostalgia and aging and the elusive, endlessly sought human love that every one of us seeks. Mary Finan also chose it, and she said it's one of the most beautiful love poems ever written. Eilish Nagivna says, Who could resist? But I have loved the pilgrim soul in you. Tony Roach says that that line speaks to what I love about my wife, but I have loved the pilgrim soul in you. Who couldn't love that line? It's a wonderful line. It's a wonderful poem. When you are old. When you are old and grey and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and of their shadows deep. How many loved your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love false or true, but one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down beside the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Well, I have to tell you how much I have enjoyed listening to you reading your poetry and also chatting about it and expressing your love for poetry in general. And I do want to mention you have a very big date coming on the 9th of October. Would you like to tell us a little about that? Yes, well, on the 9th of October is publication date, uh, Gill Books have told me, for my two new books. And one is Piggin number three. Piggin goes on a great adventure. He goes on Aer Lingus to London. And number two is an anthology called One for Everyone. And there really is one for everyone in there. There are some pieces um, written for gay. And uh, there's the Brenda Kennelly piece he wrote for the last Gay Burns show. Esna Hand, his Sunday lyric producer, has written a piece, as has Rita Ann Higgins. And many others, Imelda May, and all kinds of people have contributed. So I, I had a wonderful time in the lockdown preparing that book. So publication date, Gill Books, 9th of October. I do hope that uh, Piggine is going to go into quarantine when he gets back, by the way. I'm sure he will. <laughs> He's a very fine, uh, good, decent Dublin citizen. <laughs> <laughs> Kathleen Watkins, I want to thank you so much for doing this podcast. I have enjoyed myself immensely. I sincerely hope that you have enjoyed doing it. And we are looking forward very much to your doing your next podcast, which is going to be on music that you love. So in the meantime, on behalf of Senior Times, Kathleen Watkins, thank you. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.